Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Castable and this is a very special episode indeed. This is part two of a live special with John Robbins and on top of that it's a season four finale. Thank you so much for joining us for this awesome time. Uh, it's been a real treat to have you here. We are halfway through an interview with John Robbins. We absolutely recommend you try out episode 39 first. It's very, very important for you to do that so you understand the context of this episode. And why why wouldn't you want to? It's absolutely hilarious. In the previous episode, John talked about his uh, festival uh, in the woods. He has ongoing pizza ovens, uh, a litany of litter police, and many, many awesome bands. He's taken us through his Friday. But without further ado, let's go and investigate the Saturday and Sunday of Mr. John Robbins. So um, I think it's, let's head straight over, uh, let's get a lovely night's sleep, but remember not to litter as we head to uh, the Saturday, um, and I believe it's Alt Folk Day, is that if I'm correct? Yes, yeah, Saturday's sort of broadly Alt Folk, um, so in order that my uh, fiance doesn't detest coming to this festival because I'm going to make her come, I've picked one of her favourite bands, who I also really like, uh, and they are a band I've only come to quite recently called The Lone Bellow. We saw them in London in this tiny church. And it's really, really difficult going to see bands you've never heard of because you inevitably sort of don't immediately latch on. But straight away, they just came out and did this a cappella song, walking through the crowd, getting everyone sort of clapping in time and foot stomping. And I can only really describe it as like sing-song country. It's like really sing-along country with a you know, guitarist, a drummer, and uh, and another one. <laughs> but I mean, they were just yeah, sort of like um, sort of double bass type, yeah, almost like a skiffily aesthetic with yeah. sort of rockabilly skiffily country. But they've got an album called uh, "Then Came the Morning" mm-hmm. and uh, a song called "Marietta," which is yeah, just su- superb. So this is kind of a band to kind of like, a, a, I don't want to say bribery, but it's to make it a, a far more, it's, it's a feasible experience for your, uh, for your partner to uh, kind of enjoy the festival as well. They, they would also be the perfect choice for like the first afternoon band, I think. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and as the, the sun passes over the yard arm, uh, after them is Bonnie Prince Billy. <gasps> Yes. Now, um, um, Bonnie Prince Billy is uh, someone I've researched before this as well, and prior. And wow, what a what an eye-opening artist as well. I really I hadn't known much of them beforehand. But really? Yeah. Well, what I, did you what did you listen to out of interest? So I listened to uh, I See the Darkness album, and uh, is it Ease Down the Road as well? Yes. Yes, and that was um, oh, yeah. Uh, they were they were really again very emotive albums and there was a lot to kind of digest and i'll be honest i listened to them uh, uh, yesterday and today so i haven't really hasn't processed yet but the face value of it it's really a uh, yeah you can you can see why you like that as well and uh, yeah well uh, i see a darkness the album is it's so bleak mm-hmm. it's so bleak but then i see a darkness the song is actually very hopeful and people may know it from the Johnny Cash cover from the American recordings, which Bonnie Prince Billy features on. Mm -hmm. So he does the backing vocals in that. But I was introduced to Bonnie Prince Billy in around 1990, 
nine, so between I See a Darkness and He's Down the Road. And he's he's without doubt my, my favourite musician, really, that, that's sort of been alive in my my lifetime. And mm-hmm. as someone's pointing out in the chat... Yes. Uh, it, he he didn't used to record as Bonnie Prince Billy. There have been quite a few different Modern names. Mm-hmm. Started out as Palace Brothers and then Palace and then Palace Music. Interestingly... They re-released his back catalogue, changing most of the names to Bonnie Prince Billy. Mm-hmm. So I think Joya was released as Will Oldham. That's his real name, but mm-hmm. that's been changed to Bonnie Prince Billy. And Arise Therefore, which I think was Palace Music, I'm not sure. But Arise Therefore is now, I think, Bonnie Prince Billy. But he's he just... His most recent albums haven't been as good... Yeah. As up until there was an album called Lie Down in the Light, which I think was his last superb album. Mm-hmm. He has a weird habit of re-recording his own music in sparser and sparser arrangements, <laughs> which I quite like. Yeah. He released one album about five years ago just on a cassette that you couldn't buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I was very excited to learn today that he's released a new album with Matt Sweeney. So they released an album called Superwolf in Mm the 2000s, and they've just released a sort of sequel called Superwolves. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then every so often he'll re-record his music in the most sort of mind-bending way. So there was a thing he released called Now Here's My Plan as an EP, and it's sort of five of his songs, and it's just some of the best music he's ever made. I've seen him live... 15 times <laughs> and I'm always just left completely speechless by by him um, and, and what I really like is he writes really good he writes really well for female voices in his songs so he often has a, a female singer sort of as a counterpoint so a lot of his songs are almost like discussions between lovers mm-hmm. a good examples would be uh, there's a song called You Want That Picture, uh, which is about sort of a post-breakup of a woman saying to a guy, you you want that picture of me, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of mourning you, but that, that ain't going to happen. It's really nice. And he did an album called um, uh, With Trembling Bells called The Marble Downs, which is absolutely superb. But the lyrics yeah. of that are written by Alex Nilsson, Nilsson mm-hmm. I think. Wow. And um, so... You said you've seen him 15 times. What was, um, I know you said every time was incredibly special, but was there any one standout moment or one one particular thing which really, um, like, so, like one thing you loved above all of us? Uh, I'll never forget the first time I saw him do I See a Darkness live. I just yeah. burst into tears. Oh, bless you. I, that was at the Kentish Town Forum, I think. <laughs> I will never forget seeing him in the Colston Hall with my friend Robin and... He played a song we both love, which I think is called just Untitled. Mm-hmm. And it was me sat next to Robin's then partner. And then Robin was on her other side. But we panicked when the song came on because we love it so much that we just held hands over her. <laughs> oh, but that's really sweet. Oh, that's nice. Uh, I saw him at, I think it's called St. John the Baptist. No, it's a folk centre near Camden. And it, there was about 100 people there, and it was just him and a guitar. Mm-hmm. And he said, any requests? And I, he played my request. <gasps> yeah. And I was, in, I was just in bits. Oh, man. Yeah. And 
Well, this is. I've, a... met, I've walked past him twice. In fact, <laughs> I've walked past him three times. Yeah. I got a photo of me with him. <laughs> and how did you react when you met him in, in real life? He jogged past me at Green Man Festival in very tight shorts, <laughs> so it doesn't count as a meeting. He, I saw him. Well, I went to see him with Trembling Bells in Bristol, and he walked past me, and I said, "Hi, Will. I'm really looking forward to the gig." And the other time, I don't know, I've just got a photo of me with him and I don't know how it came about, but I'm just glad it's there. Do you kind of act like a, like a, do you kind of get a bit of a fanboy or do you, are you quite reserved? I think it's beyond that. (laughs) I think he, I just, I honestly, if, if I was offered the chance to interview him, I would seriously have to consider how I was going to keep it together. Yeah. And I I would really struggle not to not to cry, I think, if I was in conversation with him. Yeah. Well, bless it. And we're talking about that, and I really want to kind of hone in on this, because I think it's a similar theme of all the music you picked, and uh, I feel that there's, um, throughout all of it, there's a very intense emotional connection to every single part of music. Do you think for yourself, in part of your music taste, is it important to have an emotional connection to the music? Um, yeah. I mean, I think music for me is time travel, and you know there are songs i don't listen like if i listen to troublesome houses by bonnie prince billy i am immediately walking down the road from my old flat in bristol to uh stokescroft to go to the pub with my friend robin Mm -hmm. and there's a specific road that anytime i listen to a song off of that album which is called wonder show of the world i'm just on that road um mm-hmm. so combine music and alcohol for another <laughs> form of time travel and you're in real trouble <laughs> um i absolutely agree i know you mentioned it earlier with uh, like going down cowgate listening to that uh, specific music and yeah it's like especially in the fringe as well when you are uh, this certain music tracks facilitate a certain year as well like i remember i went up um um in 2018 and I would listen to Modest Mouse quite a lot and they're one of my favourite bands ever and uh, yeah they um yeah but I remember walking up hills listening to a certain song and every time I listen to that right back there and it's so evocative that and uh, the response to that is uh, fundamental and uh, yeah I absolutely uh, see what you're saying there as well so next up I've also got a slight fantasy that Bonnie Prince Billy will stick around on the stage because I I cannot I can't imagine that he hasn't crossed paths with the next artist, but they've never, I've never been able to find anything of either of them mentioning each other, but they're in a very similar realm. So I'm hoping that they get chatting backstage and release 10 albums together. <laughs> so the next act is Nico Case. Hello and welcome, Nico Case. Absolutely. I'm a massive fan of Nico Case and I was very, very happy to, to have have her on your festival as well uh yeah so tell us about um how would you describe nico case uh how would you describe <laughs> nico case the, the best just the best voice i think i've ever heard on anything <laughs> and it's very it's like americana mm-hmm. i guess her her ability to describe places and scenes mm-hmm is quite extraordinary. She's got an enormous power in her voice, but uh, her her lyrics are such a sort of... Um, such a strong, muscular version of womanhood, which I think is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, so, far too many lyrics to to quote, but her con- the consistency of her output is phenomenal. Um, she's like got country roots, definitely, mm-hmm. like almost like country and western influences. She's got s- such an incredible turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. She's got a song called Middle Cyclone off an album of the same name. Yes, and and she she there's a line where she says. Can't scrape together quite enough to ride the bus to the outskirts of the fact that I need love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fuck me, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, I found a quote from yourself, and I, I'm not sure uh, how, how the etiquette of this is, but I thought it was just very, a very apt, but also a very, uh, a very interesting, uh, a very, uh, yeah, I can say very apt description of Nico Case, which is. Uh, you said, I think of her as a sort of woman who'd walk into a dive bar and beat a trucker at, at an arm wrestle. And I think that is, you hear that, and you do get that. She, that power is there as well. Yeah, she, she her, her box set is called, I think it's called something like Truck Driver Gladiator Mule. Yes. Um, she's really into animals, and she, on her Instagram, she's always posting pictures of her horses and her dogs and her cats and... Yeah. She's sort of got an incredible way of writing about the natural world. One of my favourite songs of hers is called Maybe Sparrow, about mm-hmm. a dead sparrow. Um, so she's got this sort of fragility and tenderness, but just this incredible power. And there's mm-hmm. a video of two girls from a from a like a music college doing a song to raise money, and they sing a song of hers called Star Witness mm-hmm. in a... On the, in a stairwell mm-hmm. and I just every I must have watched that video 50 times and every time it makes me cry because there's these two girls one of whom is quite shy and sort of she's sort of fiddling with her f- fingers and the other one's playing a ukulele but they're singing this favorite song of mine in a, with such power and I, I so loved that they had Nico Case as a role model mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and she's replied to three of my tweets. <laughs> yeah, she's re- she's replied to six of Tinkies. So I'm sorry to, to do- got them screen grabbed. <laughs> uh, I also got a fist bump emoji from. Um, she did an album with Katie Lang and yes. Laura Veers called Case Lang Veers. Yeah, and uh, and Katie Lang gave me a fist bump when I said how great the album was as well. Just before we wrap up the rest of Saturday as well, uh, uh, James asks, would you also have the new pornographers? Because uh, she does lots of great uh, projects as well, and new pornographers is uh, absolutely one of them. Would they be part of the lineup? And No, they're not, because it was too tempting to kind of load every act with loads of associated acts, and it would have sort of become mayhem. I do love the new pornographers. Mm-hmm. I've sort of got out of touch with them, and part of the reason is... I have a weird habit when I really, really, really like a musician of like saving some albums so I don't run out. <laughs> so I think that the, uh, I've got two new Pornographers albums that I've really listened to a lot and I'm saving the rest to sort of discover. Yeah. Because Nico Case is not, she doesn't put out a huge amount of stuff. I think her recording studio burned down and uh, took, she had writer's block. But her album, her most recent album is called Hell On, mm-hmm. and it's got a superb song called The Curse of the I-5 Corridor. Corridor. Yeah. Um, 
but the one before that the worse things get the harder i fight the harder i fight the more i love you what mm. a title for an album uh, that's that's amazing but it was like a quite a wait for that album mm-hmm. um so um yeah sadly we have to move on from the Nico case but um, yeah. let, let's see who the re- uh, you got for the rest of your saturday well, next, the Reverend Al Green. Oh, hello, yes. Uh, to bring a bit of godliness to proceedings. <laughs> uh, playing mainly uh, from Al Green Explores Your Mind, one of my favourite albums, one of my favourite album titles. Yes. Um, uh, just the most incredible voice. And he's a bit more jolly in places. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bit more of a sort of party atmosphere. <laughs> and then that baton is passed to Van Morrison, who is uh, the penultimate act on day two. Very interesting. And have you ever seen Van Morrison live? I've seen Van Morrison live twice. And uh, I've heard, I'm going to say, mixed reviews. Uh, uh, two, of the worst, two of the worst experiences <laughs> of my musical <laughs> existence. I mean, um, just... Yeah. I mean, I forgive. I, I actually would. I forgive him. I forgive him. I, I could go and see him live a hundred times, and each time it could be as bad. He just played crap twelve-bar blues standards. Mm-hmm. The second time I saw him was on the Astral Weeks tour, mm-hmm. which is my favourite album of all time, and he didn't play a single song of Astral Weeks. Are you joking? No, I got my money back. I wrote and complained and got my money back. I was so angry. And, and it's such a classic Van move. Yeah. Also, not only did he not, didn't play anything off Astral Weeks, he played two great early songs. Mm-hmm. As he played Streets of Arclo. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is he playing Streets of Arclo but not playing yeah. Astral Weeks? It was such a perverse and mean and cruel thing to do. Yeah. Because I had the choice of seeing him in London, Bristol or Cardiff. Mm-hmm. And I saw him in Cardiff. If I'd seen him in London or Bristol, he'd have played Astral Weeks. But for some reason on that day, he couldn't be asked. I've yeah. heard nothing but bad things about him. Yeah. I love collecting <laughs> Van Morrison stories because he's such a complete <laughs> arsehole. Yeah. His, his, his COVID... His co- have you heard his COVID songs? Yeah, it's like, like No More Lockdown. Oh, it's, yeah. It's so yeah. bad. It's kind of like, oh no, granddad, what are you doing, mate? Like, but, it's, uh, yeah. he, but he made not just the greatest album of all time, objective fact, but <laughs> his first seven albums are completely flawless up until 74. Mm-hmm. Then he had a great 80s. Up until 1990, one of my favourite Van Morrison albums is Enlightenment from 1990. He sort of then loses his way in the late 2000s and 2010s, yeah. just getting obsessed with playing the same blues, 12-bar blues again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And sort of... But it, I, what, do you, what can you say? He wrote the best album ever made. So with your festival, and you're allowed to have any stipulations, is he going to play Astral Weeks in its entirety? Or is it free reign? He's playing any... He can play a selection of anything up until 1975. So that's... That's yeah. Astral Weeks, Moon Dance, mm-hmm. His Band and Street Choir, Veden Fleece. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, uh, St. Dominic's Preview. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those albums. I mean, it's a horrible hypothetical, <laughs> yeah. but if he, if he had died at 27, like a lot of rock stars did, mm-hmm. he would be without doubt seen as one of the greatest musicians of all time. I mean, a lot of people think he is. He's just sort of sullied himself in the last 10 years. <laughs> And uh, who's going to... Because Van Morrison's a big act to uh, to have as penultimate. Who is your... Well, we've got another bit of crossover here. So he's going to stick around on stage uh, and welcome on stage the band and Bob Dylan. 
Wow. Okay. So uh, from yeah. From the so they toured together. The band are one of my favourite artists of all time. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan playing with them is always a highlight. They did a tour together, which resulted in the album Before the Flood, which is so good. Yeah. And they played like half Bob Dylan songs and half band songs, and the last waltz. So Van Morrison at the last waltz is kind of like Queen at Live Aid. Yes. He's yeah. the one who really nails it. Um, but if you've ever seen The Last Waltz, then oh. the prospect of Van, Bob Dylan and the band mm-hmm. all kicking around on stage. And I think that might make him up his game a bit if, yeah. if he knew <laughs> yeah. that Levin, Helm and Robbie and Bob yeah. and Garth were waiting in the wings <laughs> yeah. and Richard Emmanuel. So we, we've, we've got to do quite a lot of bringing back from the dead, unfortunately, <laughs> with the band. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'd I'd have the band and Bob Dylan from the sort of before the flood era tour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that sounds very magical. And I love how you're getting the only way to get Van Morrison to step up his game instead of doing it for the lovely fans. It's do it by sh- like you're getting like other colleagues to peer review him. Do you oh know yeah, what I mean? totally. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, without further ado, uh, let's let's go straight onto your Sunday because I'm very excited. Need you to a late last night and I've got no place to go I took a wrong turn and now I'm here I'm pissing in your field Who are you opening with, John? Uh, opening with Simon and Garfunkel Oh, that's strong Yes, please uh, I love them uh, Yeah, so um, is, uh, is it, What kind of um, vibes are you getting from Simon and Garfunkel? Well, I, I, I got really into them when I was about sort of 15 uh, 14, 15 And um, I, just, I just think they're I just think there's I sort of weirdly think they're underrated in a mad way Yeah you don't hear about them as much as you used to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously, like they're sort of super mega stars. But yeah, I just think they're they're so much better than their greatest hits, and their greatest hits is superb. That's a great way to to phrase it as well, and also a really lovely way to start your Sunday because like mm. Sunday's Sunday's the hardest day to pitch for because Saturday is a lot of big hitters and it's kind of like a lot of the main events. Um, but with Sunday, uh, you know, people think about going home, but but there's also a magical warmth there, and Simon and Garfunkel are absolutely they are bringing they are making sure everyone stay. You know, they're but, perfect for a clearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after them, we've got Captain Beefheart. Yes, please, yeah. Circa seventy four. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I've seen the Magic Band twice, mm-hmm. and they were phenomenal both times. Um, but I think to have seen Beefheart, I think of all the bands I've got here, Beefheart is up there with the one I would be most excited to see. And why is that? Why, why, why particularly Captain Beefheart? Just because I think he's unlike any other artist is capable of such sort of confusing angular music and then on the can turn on a sixpence to write a beautiful beautiful melodic love song Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's such a shame he stopped making music when he did but he he did he was ill for quite a few years in later life uh, and retreated to uh his trailer with his wife and and painted and just painted and painted and painted and he's a fantastic artist but um i'd love to have seen him sort of mid 70s apparently john peel 
uh, introduced him on stage in London and just wow. couldn't 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 get through it and just started crying because oh, <laughs> he loved him so much. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Captain Beefheart. It's um, uh, yeah, it, it, as you say, it has such wondrous elements. I can't say I've, I know all the albums, but certainly um, I've listened to uh, like Clear Spot and uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, some like the. I think I've I have like a very great hits uh, landscape view of him, and the similar songs are so wondrous and kind of like uh, I think is it Observatory Crest and uh, things like that. It's such a yeah, I love that. I mean, that's off an album called Blue Jeans and Moonbeams that yeah. sort of Beefheart fans don't really like, but I I really like that album. And there's a song in it called Further Than We've Gone, which is one of my all-time favorite guitar solos. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so after Captain Beefheart, circa '74. Well, he sticks around um, because he's followed by Frank Zappa and they're going to play some tracks from the Bongo Fury tour. Yes, um, um, but wow, that's uh, that's very specific there. But Frank Zappa, yeah, and the first time he's appeared on uh, Castable as well. What? 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 Yes, I know, right? Thick idiots have you had on this <laughs> godforsaken podcast? What, no one's picked Frank Zappa? No, <laughs> no, no. What? Do you know who the only person to pick Frank Zappa for Desert Island Discs is? Who? Martin Clunes. <laughs> My opinion of Martin Clunes went into space. And then, the next day, I went to see Dweezil Zappa at the Royal Festival Hall. Yeah. Who introduced him on stage? Clunes again. <laughs> Clunesy. Yeah. What an absolute ledge. And Martin Clunes, not only did he pick Frank Zappa for Desert Island Discs, he said, um, they said, could you have a... It, would you have a luxury? And he said, I, I would, all I would want is all of Frank Zappa. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a guy. Um, so it, the problem with Zappa is which bands do you pick to, which like assembled band of his would be playing. Mm-hmm. So I want a mixture of the um, apostrophe era band, which is um, 74. So that's people like Napoleon Murphy Brock, uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Fowler, John Luke Ponty on violin, Ruth Underwood on percussion, George mm-hmm. Duke, uh, Tom Fowler. But then I also want, um, I want some people from the uh, the best live outfit. I think is Roxy and Elsewhere that album. So mm-hmm. uh, we need um, Don Preston, Tom Fowler, Chester Thompson, Ruth Underwood's also in that band. Uh, so we need to sort of merge bands a bit. And I also need some people off the Bongo Fury band. So I need Terry Bozio <laughs> on drums. So it's going to be quite, tell you quite what, packed. Tell you what, that car park is going to be rammed, mate. Absolutely yeah. rammed. <laughs> Ramo Cablamo. But if I could see Zappa play play sort of a hybrid of Bongo Fury, Roxy and Elsewhere, Apostrophe, Wacka Jawacka and the Grand Wazoo, mm-hmm. that's, that's my favourite period of Zappa is... 70 to 75 um wonderful and uh yeah i um yeah i love frank's episode much and uh uh as i say i i definitely do not have a, a as deep as knowledge as you but yeah the uh the again i kind of have like a as, as daisy says a musical bank just ready to kind of like chip into an album when when ready as well but uh yeah there's some wonderful uh wonderful albums there and they, they keep on being released as well like there's so many posthumous yeah, yeah. albums uh um, but yeah, uh, so after Beefheart, Zappa and all the other uh, iterations of that band, who do you have on your Sunday? Well, uh, there's a frosty atmosphere on stage because <laughs> he famously didn't like Frank Zappa. 
Uh, so next up, it's Lou Reed. Oh, solo. really? I, d- I didn't know they didn't like each other. Uh, he once described Frank Zappa as the least talented musician he'd ever heard in his entire life. <laughs> which is so untrue, it could only have been said by Lou Reed. Yeah. They, they shared residency, I think, at Fillmore East. So... Zappa had a residency at the Fillmore East in the in like 1970, and it would have been around the time that the Velvet Underground were playing their final gigs. And mm-hmm. I imagine that he went along and watched the Mothers at the Fillmore and thought, "This is a bunch of crap." Amazingly, there aren't two bands with a more sort of similar, I guess, um, message than. The Velvet Underground and Frank Zappa, but in such totally different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Velvet Underground, John Cale aside, were not not technically that gifted as musicians. So to describe Frank Zappa as being the least talented musician <laughs> yeah. ever seems insane. But um, I uh, was so, so lucky to see Lou Reed twice on his final tour. Mm-hmm. Well, his he did a tour of Berlin but on his sort of final album touring tour in 2000. So I saw him at the Colston Hall in Bristol and the Royal Albert Hall in London. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just such a huge figure for me uh, as a teenager, especially. So yeah. to and see Lou Reed. Oh. And maybe maybe Zappa and Lou, uh, just for your festival, kind of like, will have reconcile the differences. And kind well, of- Lou Reed did apologise Bizarrely, he was chosen to induct Frank Zappa into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after Frank had died. Mm -hmm. And I think Frank's daughter, Moon Unit, said, what an offensive choice for someone who's basically slagged off my Mm -hmm. dad to induct him into the Hall of Fame. But I think in later life, Lou Reed perhaps uh, realised an awful lot of what he'd said (laughs) an awful lot of times was kind of pretty crazy, but... um, Either way, they should have got Clunes on the job. He's fantastic. He's Clunesy. <laughs> Clunes could maybe have brokered some kind of deal. Um, but I would want... I, w- I would be happy with any era Lou Reed because there's there's no real bum notes in in yeah. Lou Reed's back cat. Well, um, A lot what... of fretless bass knocking around, it has to be said, for the latter half of his career. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> a genius. And uh, so... Um, how many acts left have you got for your Sunday? Are they in, cause Two like, more. Because like, this, I've got to be honest, John. This is ramping up for me. This is uh, we're gear shifting hard, and it's uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very tense over here at Host Towers. But take it well, take it home. At this point, we we allow the uh, the the clearing to go up to capacity. Yes. Uh, so another two and a half thousand people are allowed in. <laughs> yeah. um, and the penultimate act of the festival is Elton John. Oh, hello, yeah. What more needs to be said about Elton John? An absolute legend, and uh, I can imagine... that's a, For a penultimate act of a festival, you would imagine him headlining, but penultimate, wow, in for a treat. In for a real treat. I, I came to... I obviously sort of knew Elton's hits, um, but I really only knew him through the Queen world. So there's lots of artists that I just know because they've somehow crossed paths with Queen at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I knew him from the tribute concert and I knew him from photos of him and Freddie and I knew him because they had the same um, 
agent and they had the same lawyer mm-hmm. and they used to share a studio in the early 70s. Queen would record their first album on Elton's sort of dark time when he wasn't in the studio. Mm-hmm. So I knew him as sort of helping Queen in the early days. But um, I just thought, mm-hmm. why the hell haven't you listened to any Elton John properly? So I bought six or seven of his albums and I, I, and I can confirm he's a superb <laughs> song Uh, maker (laughs) because you've got to remember that Bernie as well we have to mention that Bernie Taupin is the lyricist but crikey Moses what a pair (coughs) absolutely and uh, And Border Song and Grey Seal and Someone Saved My Life Tonight I'm listening to Someone Saved My Life Tonight at 37 years old thinking how have you not been obsessed with this song for 20 years it's so (laughs) so good yeah, it, I can imagine it as a similar setting, and like it, it's quite magical. Uh, having Elton John play, it sets the mood for the headliner as well. And uh, um, so well, to take it home. Well, have a guess. Uh, I, I, I couldn't. I, you know, I have no idea in the world. Like it could be. Uh, um, I, shall we say Queen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely Queen. Yeah, it's it's uh, Queen and Adam Lambert. Um, uh, no, yeah. it's not. It's clean, uh, <laughs> you were genuinely the... happy on tender hooks then. I was like, really? Was like... <laughs> uh, it's it's Queen uh, closing out the festival to a mere five thousand people. I sort of undenied about this because, as even though I don't like big crowds, mm-hmm. you kind of want. So I'm hoping that like loads of people have just jumped over the fence by this point, <laughs> yeah. or are even just in the car park. So maybe they've opened up the car park and. People are seeing them from there, but I see it as a bit of a like the free gig they did at Hyde Park, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So impossible to pick an era. Yeah, uh, I'd be happy with any era. I would actually quite like to hear some songs from the uh, last three albums that obviously never got played live. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, and. Uh, obviously, a lot of people know uh, Queen's greatest hits, and obviously, uh, fans of John will certainly uh, uh, know the back catalogues of Queen. But yeah, to uh, to have the opportunity to see stuff from Innuendo being played, and uh, mm. um, uh, you know, um, uh, and even like uh, a few of the more intimate tracks from um, um, Made in Heaven would be uh, really fantastical to watch as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a it's a fantasy you can't have because yeah. yeah. Uh, because of the circumstances in which those albums were made. But I, I wouldn't specify any periods, just anything. Mm-hmm. I would take anything they wanted to play in mm-hmm. any form. And I would just be, uh, I think I would just be all completely speechless and awestruck and I would just stand very still for a very <laughs> long time. And how would you, how long would you like them to play for as well? And uh, is, do you... Six months. <laughs> Just a really classic, tight, six-month-long set. Yeah, but I think they, they're such a generous band to their fans. And, like, so much is made about, like, what a great showman Freddie was. But what it is, is it's care from all of them. It's wanting to put on a show. It's wanting every single person there to feel involved and to give them two, three, four thousand percent more than they were expecting and i know a lot of people sort of take against queen for various reasons but Mm -hmm. i don't think there's ever been a band who has cared more about their audience's experience of consuming their music whether it's 
mm-hmm. the insane lengths they went to to get albums recorded the right way, whether it's the the places they went on tour mm-hmm. that no one wasn't didn't make them any money. Yeah, you know, going South on America. tour through South America yeah. in the early eighties mm-hmm. as a rock band, they lost money on every single tour apart from their last one mm-hmm. because it was just logis- logistically such a nightmare. And also, like with in terms of, it's not a massive moment, but like uh, in a in the live show, a Hungarian Rhapsody's live album, uh, in live in Budapest '86, uh, he does. Um, is it the national anthem? Uh, and it's it's just this very tender moment, and it just uh, even though it's a stadium of people, it feels like everyone is there, and is and it just feels like a very special moment. Well, there's footage of him trying to learn it, and yeah. he's written it on his hand. Mm-hmm. And he's in the, in the sort of apartment before going. I mean, I know the tune from Freddie Merc- from footage of Freddie Mercury, yeah. it. And he begins to sing it, and everyone just goes ballistic. And I mean, no bands hadn't really played in in mm-hmm. the Eastern Bloc that much. In Japan, he would sing in Japanese. They wrote a song, Teo Toreate. Teotoreate danama maiko ai suruhi toyo. And they they were like the bigger than the Beatles in Japan. Yeah. He, um, Love of My Life, which was number one in Spain for like a thousand years. On the South America tour, the footage of Freddie singing Love of My Life and the audience singing it back to him. No other band has ever got close to anything like that. In terms of... I mean, I just there's no blueprint for what they were doing in terms of crowd work, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, John, I I think um, w- honestly, like I'm I'm a massive Queen nerd, and we could definitely talk about Queen all day, and uh, <laughs> we might have to bring you back on a separate podcast just to do that as well. But like, uh, but yeah, um, what a, a remarkable festival, and there were like I know you are. Uh, a massive fan of Queen, but I genuinely don't think there's any other band that could really finish up a festival like Queen as well. I feel that they are they are the final stamp on any festival and can rock it to the ground as well. Um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add to your festival before we move to the final part? Uh, no, I think that's uh, that's that's me done. Thank you very much. All right, pleased with that festival. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and not a single litter insight. Uh, no. Um, all right, let's head to the final part of the podcast called floor fillers. Fellas, as with event management, things are bound to go wrong. So here's a couple of hypothetical questions that John has to deal with in a manner that he sees fit. As a special treat, our live audience over Zoom has submitted some of their own floor fillers for John to answer. So um, let's let's start off with a. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a nice. Uh, let, let's start off with this. Um, 
Uh, Nico Case and Bonnie Prince Billy hate each other's guts. They say they won't perform if the other band will be performing, the other artists will be performing. Who would you pick after the two, or would you try and negotiate? I'd I'd move, I'd move Bonnie Prince Billy to the Monday, to the Friday, sorry, and I would move Cass McCombs. No, I'd move Car Seat Headrest to the Saturday because I think. I think Nico Case would get on with Car Seat Headrest and I think Bonnie Prince Billy, well, he he actually recorded an EP with Jason Molina mm-hmm. under the name The Amalgamated Sons of Rest, which, not fun fact, depressing fact, was recorded <laughs> over uh, September the 11th. Okay, and they yeah. wrote a song on, the di- on 9-11 uh, that wasn't put on the EP but is available on YouTube. Um, that's Jason Molina... Bonnie Prince Billy and I think Alistair Roberts, the Amalgamated Sons of Rest. So I could I could move him across, but there's no chance in hell that mm-hmm. they wouldn't get on because they're going to be best friends and release ten albums together. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, and they can do that in a time which uh, Queen are playing for six months as well. Mm. So, uh, um, so here's some of the um, audience submitted uh, floor fillers. Van Morrison goes rogue when he gets on and just won't play ball, playing twelve bar blues over and over. How do you deal with him? I just think I just I get on stage and say, "Well, sod off." Then we'll just I'll just have more of the band and Bob Dylan. Just sod off because you don't. No one is making you do this. Yeah, and your tickets are like seventy quid. So he does these weird gigs where it's like two hundred and fifty quid a ticket in quite sort of intimate venues in mm-hmm. in um, in Ireland. And I just think if you hate playing live so much. I mean, what's his net worth? Are you going to Google right now? Yeah. What's Van Morrison's net worth? <laughs> when, when this okay, so is... ball, ballpark figure, $90 million. So if you don't want to play Western Bert Arboretum, which you clearly didn't when I saw you there, <laughs> you don't do it because maximum for that gig, he's probably making... Try and work it out. It was ten thousand times a million? <laughs> so he's on f- probably forty percent of gross. Maybe three hundred grand mm-hmm. for one of those gigs. Maybe a bit less. Maybe maybe two hundred grand. So if you've got night, well, mug it off. If you that don't want to do it, don't do it. Uh, alternatively, I would also suggest that drinking a lot of cider and then getting on stage and then having a mad rant as well. E- either of those is fine. But uh, second uh, that is security tells you that Roger Taylor has been dropping litter all over the place and refusing to stop. What do you do with that? Oh, uh, Ro- Roger has has full litter rights. I'm afraid <laughs> Roger can drop litter anywhere he wants. He oh. can actually bring litter to the site from his house. If he was going to miss the recycling day, he could actually bring it in the back of his Range Rover Evoque, which I know for a fact he owns, uh, and he could just dump it on site, and that's fine. I'll, 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 I'll vouch for Roger, and I'll pick up all his litter and take it home. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll collect Roger's rubbish. Imagine when you get home after that festival, um, your partner's like, "What's that? What's that funny smell? And why? Why is there? Why is that?" Just Roger's refuse. <laughs> It's just Roger Taylor's refuse. Like, I'm just going to house it for a while and look at it. <laughs> you know how like Scrooge McDuck dies into a big pile of coins? I feel like you could dive into Roger's refuse as well. <laughs> but he's got a lot of Nespresso pods in his, in his refuse. I see Roger as a big Nespresso guy. <laughs> um, that, that's a very good floor filler. Okay, um, 
Uh, number three, um, penultimate question. Uh, the delivery of ales don't uh, arrive in time for Friday night. What do you do? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I I believe we're just an hour's walk from Reading Services. So uh, we basically form a human chain between uh, Reading Services, which I believe has an M&S, uh, and, and we just basically empty Reading Service M&S of uh, all its ales um, <laughs> and we take them back. I mean, I will. People, we can just drive there. We can drive to M&S at Reading Services. <laughs> like, make, make space for Roger's refuse in the back, please. Um, um, and um, finally, um, uh, oh no, Queen of Cancelled last minute. Who do you get to replace them? Good question. I feel this is a bit of a, a cruel question to ask. Well, no, because I've got some of the people I crossed out. Mm-hmm. I think it would have to... If you're going to stand on stage and say Queen have cancelled, <laughs> but yeah. we've got X, yeah, there are very few people that make the crowd going to go, oh, oh, okay, great. Mm-hmm. I think it would probably have to be. It would have to be either Bowie or Elvis. Yeah, and Zoe in the chat says Zo- um, and Bowie, and yeah, I think they're both two um, similar vibes as well, like two like fundamental legends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the Beatles, maybe. I'm not such a huge Beatles guy, but I think that's the those are probably three bands that if you said sorry queen have cancelled but we've got the beatles bowie or elvis or Jimi hendrix mm-hmm. oh he's <laughs> nicer than my wife i'd go <laughs> i'd probably go i'd possibly go hendrix if queen cancelled yeah that sounds wonderful um well um well, that's the end of Floor Fillers, and that's the end of this live podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us, John. It's been an absolute treat. And uh, thank you for uh, uh, doing this wonderful uh, uh, episode as well. Um, where can people find you online, and can you um, plug everything that you have to offer? Uh, absolutely nothing to offer. <laughs> there's, no, there's no need to find me anywhere. <laughs> okay. Let, just, just let me drift off into the sea. But at least you got your queen jacket on. That's fine. <laughs> but um, oh, well, uh, well, um, please check out his uh, BBC Five Live show. It's one of the um, best regular pieces of, of uh, audio content out there. It's uh, it's really remarkable. And the back catalogue of podcasts that John does is uh, um, absolutely uh, uh, fundamental listening. So please go and check that out. And uh, yeah, um, but thank you all for listening tonight. I hope you really enjoyed this live special. Uh, it's been great to have you here. Please support Castable. Uh, there are loads of uh, wonderful episodes in our back catalogue. Please check them out on Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, please follow us at Castle Podcast. Uh, and follow me, Madhouse Comedy, on Twitter. And remember to give us a five-star rating online. Please, uh, for a final time, um, feel free to unmute your microphones and give a massive round of applause to the wonderful, legendary John Robbins. Yay! <laughs> Thank you very much. Yay! Cheers, guys.